Welcome to this episode of the Tez Mag Debrief Podcast. Uh, I'm John Severs. I'm joined by Gronya Hallahan and Dan Worth. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi there. Um, it's raining. We're going to hope to bring some joy into your life today by talking about exams. That doesn't sound likely, but we'll try. Um, let's get started. Okay, so we're talking about the 19th of uh, February issue, and the focus on this week looks at exams and whether they're fair. So exams have been cancelled this year, and I was wondering, and everyone was saying, well, it's not fair. How? What's the fair measurement of of students for their exams? We can't just, you know, CAGs aren't fair and other options aren't fair. The exam's the fairest way. Not everyone's saying that, but quite a few people are. And so I asked um, Christina Quain to look at it and say, actually, are they fair? You know, we set a arbitrary time limit on on an exam and does that actually test your knowledge or does that test how quickly you can recall knowledge and is the speed of recall of knowledge actually a valid measurement of education um so christina looked into this and she she interviewed several people for it and it turns out we are all we're all quite different in the speed we process information and part of that's to do with the size of our working memory part of that's to do with just start difference in you know in processing speeds and and it turns out that exams aren't fair in that sense because actually you know knowing the content is one part of it being able to write it in a legible way is another part of it and being able to process the question uh get that knowledge out of your long-term memory in in the time limit is another part of it and actually because of those genetic differences between us some people have an advantage over others. And so Christina looks at this and there's, there's some ways to sort of offset the disadvantage. But actually, when you get down to it, some kids are just quicker than others and it's nothing to do with their intelligence or their ability to retain information. And so to my mind, that's quite a big flaw. It's interesting, though, isn't it? In that um, if, you're, if you're a quick person and you can think quickly, isn't that desirable? I don't know. I mean, the, I guess the point is, you know, if you're building a bridge, do you want the person who has the first idea or the person who has the considered idea? You know, how quick... You know, where's but that's the, where's, not what you're saying. You're saying that in exams, people who can true. process more quickly. So that's not... I, don't, I wouldn't say that's the same. That's not a fair comparison. That's You're saying the end result is the same, but someone gets to that end result quicker. Mm. And is that not something we should measure? Is that is, or is it something that's desirable? Is it something that... We know that there's no fair way. There's never going to be a fair way of assessing children. But is this a, a, the most fair way we can come up with? And is it so bad that it does reward those that think quickly? And perhaps I'm just saying that because I'm really good at exams. <laughs> but is it ever explicit in the system? I mean, did you ever sit 30 kids down and say, by the way, it's not just about what you know, it's how quickly you're going to get it out of your, out of your brain. And, and then telling the kid that's, genetically predisposed to have a slightly slower processing speed that sorry you know you're, that's just that's you just born with that one mm. sorry it's yeah, a I, tricky I, one yeah. yeah i don't know how you solve that I, I suppose you need to spot it before you get to the main exam don't you and know that this pupil is smart or you know, clearly knows the stuff but when i set them a time test they always falter or their answers are always a bit weak and yet if i give them it's homework their work's the best or it's one of the best, you know, and you need to spot one. Okay, there's a problem there where the stress of the exam or something affects them. And that happens to everyone, doesn't it? And I don't know, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you sort of part, you sort of think, like Gronio said, there's like how, there'll never be a fully fair way. You want the moment you start testing people, you create 
it's, it's, you can only make it as good as you can try and make it. You always have a flaw. It will always disadvantage some children. I always remember there was a girl at my school who could write exceptionally quickly in exams and you'd hear her cracking her knuckles all the way through as she turned <laughs> over the page sort of thing. And, and honestly, and everyone used to say it's so unfair because she she almost put so much down. She's bound to say enough to get a good score. You know, that was the sort of what we used to laugh I mean, about. It's so. true, isn't it? I mean, yeah. You, you yeah, I was that down. girl. Right, yeah, well, there you go. I yeah, then the knuckle really cracker. I and, wouldn't um, crack knuckles. That's repulsive. But um, <laughs> oh, David Putwain in the in the piece, <laughs> Professor David Putwain in the piece, says that if you can identify these children or students, they should get extra time in the exam, and it should be seen as a, a special consideration. And I think that's something that if you could accurately measure it, and I think that's yeah. questionable, it's one option. But I'm going to say, well, is it one word or two word? I'm going to say something that's going to cause Gonya to to have a meltdown. But coursework. I hate coursework. <laughs> but surely, like when we were in doing our exams, uh, we're all similar age. You know, some of our some of our uh, final grade was based on coursework, and that does have some setbacks. I don't have any issue with coursework apart from the ethics of it. That's the only issue I have with coursework. I think it's brilliant to teach children how to write an essay and how to draft and then to redraft and then to get into that sort of finessing. That that's a, an excellent skill, and they should learn how to do that. And I think that taking coursework away has definitely damaged that. But the ethics of coursework, I can't, I can't ever, ever get behind returning. You're gonna have to elaborate. Yeah. What do you mean? Well, because of the cheating. Because when you have coursework, you have children who've got um, access to tutors who help them with the coursework. That makes it unfair. And even having parents who are well educated and can help help their children, it's impossible to ask parents to not do their best with their children when they're sent home, sent home with coursework to do, of course they're going to help them. And that's not fair. And I don't think it's it's helpful. What about a system for exams where you just have a pass or fail? Yeah, I, I do think there's a lot to be said about the broadness of the grades. So we've got too many grades, haven't we? Mm. Because what is really the difference between a five and a six or a six and a seven? It's, it's like levels, isn't it? You know, you, when we had levels in primary schools, you break them down to sub-levels. Yes, and it, yeah, And you've got all yeah. the secondary teachers going, primary assessment, rubbish. Look at all those <laughs> levels they've broken it down to. And then you look at GCSEs and go, you've got nine levels there. <laughs> <laughs> and it's made on, it guys. more inaccurate. You know, um, the Higher Education Policy Institute bang on about this all the time because I think it's really important, but a quarter of all grades are wrong. And we know that because it's it's too hard to get it marked accurately because there's too many grades so you're exactly right Dan if we had maybe pass and fail might be too limited but so like a university pass merit distinction exactly fail. that then you could have a when, when you used to, when I used to mark you you could read something and go this feels like a c I know this is a c grade I know this is a d grade and I know this is a b and an a but I I think it's really hard to to get down into the the grades now because there's so there's more of them and we're not really sure what the differences are between them and if you did just have fail pass merit distinction it would be more accurate so we're getting to a point aren't we where we're saying there is actually no fair way of measuring kids there's a there's certain ways that are fairer than others perhaps but there's no fair way to to, you know, to measure I do wonder if we'll look back on this in like a hundred years time and just be like, what were we doing? That was crazy. Like that's, there's, that's no way to, to um, run an education system. Like I, I do think it's um, the, the fact that we've had to pause and stop and rethink about it because of coronavirus will lead to, to changes. Mm. 
Yeah, well, Pearson said yesterday, didn't they? they they've mm. announced a consultation on it. I mean, whether that's for show or for real, they're going to re-rip up their, you know, how they assess through there and what they offer schools. It'd be interesting to see. But people are talking about it, aren't they, in a way that they probably didn't before. If they did, it felt very sort of esoteric, whereas now it's kind of much more real. And like to the point, there's been no exams for two years. And, and will these pupils' inherent lives be ruined or will their careers be disastrous? Or Definitely not. You know, it's not easy. You're not suggesting that it's, oh, nothing matters. But it's, they'll all go on and have a, most of them will, will just will have a life thereafter, you know, like they would anyway. And so it's like, well, we don't, you don't, your future and your, your being a human isn't defined by having an exam or not, is it? An exam grade. Or sitting an exam, we should say. It's odd, isn't it? It's because it, if you go on to do A-levels, it's very difficult to put any purchase on your GCSEs because you went through that gate. But if you went, you, if GCSEs was the final exam you took in school, their importance increases. Mm. Um, and I think it's good that now that we are discussing exams in a more scientific way, it's not a, it, it's not a Victorian measurement type argument. And yeah, you know, there's, there's obviously a place for that among some people, but I'm glad that it's progressed to looking at, okay, if we have these huge differences and variants within processing speed, if, if coursework gives people an unfair advantage in other ways, I think we're getting into the detail a bit more about, okay, where are our, where are the weaknesses in any measurement system and, and which ones as a society are we willing to tolerate? And of course, that's when the arguments really get started. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll leave that for now. It's a great piece from Christina. Uh, it's well worth looking at and it's well worth not just looking at in terms of exams, but if you do have, children in your classrooms who who just seem a bit puzzling they seem to know the content but there's just something that you know something that stops them getting it down on paper i think processing speed is a really untapped area um, of education research and it's well worth taking a look at okay so moving from one controversial topic to another gronya you're going to talk to us about spelling i am so, Anne Jago had a problem with spelling. In short, it was difficult to administer her spelling tests and it was time consuming and learning the spellings and getting them right in the class tests wasn't carrying across to the written work. So she you, decided... You should be explicit here that it's not her that's failing the test. <laughs> yes, no, Anne Jago had a problem with spellings of the students in her class. I'm sure she's an excellent speller. Um, so she had to think about what she could do to improve the matter. She looked at some different methods and found them lacking and finally came upon uh, using etymology to teach the students how to spell. And this just completely changed the way that her students felt about spelling in class, how they felt about spelling tests, their confidence in spellings. And they started to love words again. And this, I just, I adore this feature because etymology.com is probably one of my favorite websites that's how sad i am love it i'm not wow. i'm not ashamed i'm not ashamed you, you look sort of ashamed <laughs> no no i'm proud and um it's i think this is the way to get children to get over their fear of spellings like spelling can make you feel so self-conscious and make you doubt your own intelligence and really if you can make words fun and make it okay to say actually i don't have to spell this let's look it up let's find out the reason why it's spelled in this way it's much more easier to understand the the logic behind our crazy spelling patterns that we have in english and it's it's a lovely lovely piece one for primary and secondary i think it's worth worth reading Okay, so spelling is um, 
a, a trouble for everyone. Everyone has a word that they can't spell. And Just sometimes it's sometimes it's lazy. Sometimes it's it's um, actually genuinely can't spell it. I always struggle with necessary. And it's, I don't know why it's a blind spot. And I'm always lazy with there and there as in T-H-E-I-R, T-H-E-R-E. Mm. But surely the spelling test, playing devil's advocate here, surely if we think about cognitive load, you know, no education discussion is complete without mention of that. Um, but if we, if we make spellings automatic, do we make writing easier? I think if, it's, it, it's, it's that it doesn't bring automatic, automaticity, does it? The spelling tests aren't leading to children spelling the words correctly in their work afterwards. And so that's why you have to question what's the best way to teach it. And etymology is an interesting one, isn't it? Because it, it, it creates a, it brings that word to life. And I think that's, it, you know, if we're going to use the language of sort of primary teaching, it's a hook, right? It's, mm -hmm. a, it's a hook to remember in that word. And um, but if I think about my own primary experience, which was a long time ago, <laughs> I can't ever remember taking a spelling test. Which oh, is really? Smart. I did them. I, we what? did them at high school all the time, every Friday, spelling list, reading this yeah. article, talking about having a spelling list to go and learn by rote and come back and do it the following week. And I, I was quite good. I was because I have just I have generally speaking, not entirely, but I've got quite a good memory for sort of mm. facts and recall. And um, so I did quite well at them. Um, but whether that meant, like to the point of the piece, whether that meant I would then able to use them in a sentence the following week and know what they meant versus just being able to spell them, I don't know. But I've always, I, I always spell the word together as to get her because that's how I remember learning it when I was about oh. seven or eight, whatever. And so I always write to get her. If I'm writing together, you know, I just always remembered that little trick <laughs> to remember it. But how long did it take me to then actually know what, how to use that word? I don't know. Couldn't tell you. <laughs> I hated spelling tests. I was so, so bad at spelling tests. Exams, I'm good at when you have to write an essay. Mm. That's fine. But spelling tests and times tables tests, I was awful. I remember the times table tests quite clearly, but I, I just can't remember the spelling tests. But when um, I do it with my, um, my kids now, they have a list and then they have to put that word in a sentence mm. and, and then they have, to, um, they have to do something else with it. Do something with the word, one of the words. And it's like a three-step pro, pro, program with the list. And then when they have the test, some of the words aren't on there. They have to learn the rule. And she talks a bit about learning rules as well, doesn't yes. she, in the piece? Yes. And that looking at the exceptions to the rule and teaching them all together and talking about like why those word endings are different on, on different ones. Yeah. I had okay. um, I read an interesting thing this week about the word vaccination, the etymology of that. Now, I may, I may slightly mangle this, so anyone listening who knows better than me, please correct. But I read it in, a, um, in an article, and it said that in the olden days, the olden days, they used to, to, to fight off smallpox. They discovered that if you infected someone with a small bit of cowpox, mm. you'd build up resistance to smallpox, which was much more deadly. And the French for cow is vache. So vaccination, oh. vaccination is sort of where that originates from. Oh, that's interesting. That is, that's, that's good. That's good uh, pub quiz knowledge. That is. If yeah. I mean, again. again, I might have, I think I've remembered that correctly, but it's yeah, interesting, isn't it? Like you said, I immediately was like, ah, yeah, right. That makes sense. You know, the word makes more sense to me now than it ever did. I think um, with the spelling stuff, it, it, it's really homeschooling is really, you know, if you look on social media, it's, you know, these quite complex spelling rules, you know, the international phonetic alphabet uh, that the, the writer of this piece talks mm. about. 
And then you've got all the complex grammar and you've got a generation of parents who are around our age who had basically no grammar teaching during their school years and no idea what these little slashes and signs mean. And you've got this real kickback because it makes you feel quite stupid as a parent. And, mm. and, and that, that becomes defensive and it's like, well, why are we doing this? You know, this, we shouldn't be drilling kids in, in this sort of thing. And actually you look at it and go, I'm quite torn on it because, you know, there's a place for all of that. But there's also a place for writing a really nice piece of creative writing where you don't mark the spelling and you don't mark yeah. the grammar and you just say, just write something you want to write. And you don't, you don't constrain them. And I think the risk of standardized assessments and accountability and the risk of an Ofsted inspector pottering into your remote lesson or, or your, uh, or your physical lesson when we get back is that you don't, you don't feel you have time to let that happen. Mm. And I think that's where, you know, that's the broader sort of filter for this discussion is, okay, when can a child just express themselves and is there time for that in the curriculum without trying to sound too, um, progressive? <laughs> is that the thought of a child who's written a lovely story and then you just get your red pen and you just destroy it stop? with all your corrections? Where's your capital letter? <laughs> you I've know. let my daughter write stories each day. She's got this lovely book with ideas of like writing prompts and she, she fills it in and she writes little stories and I've not corrected a single spelling and I think I deserve a medal. Wow, what, what a way to end this segment of the... Um... <laughs> Of, of, of the podcast with Gronya taking something that was quite sweet and turning it into something about herself and that she needs a medal for it her poor daughter and I think we should leave it there <laughs> Feature 3 is going to be described by Dan Worth Hello um, I chose this one partly because of the headline which is I don't know if I should give it away or not because if you I should. give it away I should okay so the headline is The Silence of the Laminators which, which is, is brilliant. Somewhere I mean, near genius from yeah. probably Melissa or Lorraine on our production desk. Mm. Worth, worth the price of entry to the magazine alone, I'd say. But um, it's, it's an article by David McGrath, McGrath talking about um, kind of like overcomplicating things and lessons and how he spent once spent forever laminating all these various sort of whizzy uh, pieces of text to put on tables for the pupils to then end up in different groups for the activity they were going to do. And very quickly, he just thought this is a crazy amount of effort for very little reward in terms of their learning. And I could, he could probably have achieved it a lot more by just doing something simple and learning them. And, and, and it's something that I can imagine, I mean, Gronje, you can probably talk us a bit more about this, but I can imagine as a teacher, it must be easy to get a little bit drawn into that world of overcomplicating things because it feels like, well, either because it feels good to you or because you feel like you're ticking boxes of what you're expected to be doing. That must be difficult when you're sort of thinking, oh, I better do this because it would tick a box on how we're meant to teach versus, mm. but it seems like a waste of time. But um, yeah, so and just, when you're when you're training each week, you'll have like a different thing that you need to try out in the classroom. So you literally are box ticking and making sure that you've tried mm. different types of group work and use different strategies in your teaching. So, I used yeah. to love um, the laminator. My mum was a early years teacher for like decades, and um, she would bring kids' work home and show me it and say, "Look how good this one is." And I was like, "That just looks like scribbles." Mm -hmm. um and she said we're going to laminate this one. we're going to put it up the, the kid's really proud of it and then i'd, I'd do the laminating and it was it, it's quite an intoxicating activity i i enjoyed it it appealed to all my ocd mm. i and had my own laminator and i loved it you see and is this part of the problem that actually laminating itself is fun 
whether there's mm. a learning act, you know, outcome to it is irrelevant. But the act of lamination, well, it, it's it, it's so calming. It's like coloring in. But I just think mm. it always get burns. I'm so clumsy. Yeah, Burn. so it doesn't look like you've got a good set of resources when you laminate something. Doesn't it just look yeah. more proper? But is it is it is it actually any good or sort of now now irrelevant, isn't it? Because it's like, oh, look, it's laminated. It must. Be I'm good. keeping it. I'm using it yeah. regardless. Yeah. Um, you've got the the environmental impact as well, of course. Laminating. Can stuff. you not get a biodegradable laminate? You can't. It lasts for decades. Laminated stuff. I think my mum does have some laminated resources in a cupboard that have lasted decades. Mm. And maybe it's just, maybe it's not when, maybe we're not banning lamination. Maybe we're saying to save it for the really good stuff. Yeah. Save it for stuff that actually genuinely needs to be laminated. Like, I don't know, schools that have to use classroom passes, like bathroom passes that loads of kids hold and touch. And if it's laminated, you can wipe it clean. Mm. That's, but, that's a good point, actually. Laminating is very easy to wipe clean. Which in this time, this era, is very important. Though nothing's worse than laminating something and spotting a spelling mistake or a typo on it. Oh, yeah, that must be infuriating. You strike me as someone who's laminated all their school certificates, Gronya. Oh, I don't even have my, my school certificates. You don't have the, um, what, was the what was the folder you had to make? The National Record of Achievement. National Record of Achievement. I left it yes. at my boyfriend's house. Who's not your husband. still there. Who's not my husband. Didn't marry him. It's just a bit... It's quite weird that some guy is going to clean out his attic and find a record of achievement of an ex-girlfriend and potentially have an argument with his new partner. Why have you kept this treasured <laughs> memento of someone's school years? I'm hoping his mum and dad have kept it. I can ask them for it. What, as, in, as, as a, here's what you could have won? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, why didn't, you, why didn't you marry this one? Look, she's got a cycling proficiency certificate. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I've never laminated my, um, my school certificates. Probably should have. Mine arrived in a box from my parents' house when they cleared out their, their um, garage and I just saw this thing and it was just full of like merit award or just the, the little yellow certificates. And I was thinking, why, why do I have them? But I couldn't, I, I couldn't part with them. They're still in a box in my garage because I can't bear. Mm. There's some weird mystique about stuff like that and books, um, mm. exercise books that I wrote in when I was like eight years old. Why do I have that? Oh, it's nice though. Like, I think it is nice to have those things. I've got my old maths books. I used to write funny things on the front of them. Did you put, um, who was your favourite band? Have you got? Yeah, yeah, things like that. Like, and Caroline Spaulding, who's a friend of Tess and writes a lot for us, we, we laugh because our books are quite similar. Like, we obviously mm. like the same things at the same time. So we've got same band some, names. Give us some band names. Um, Actually, like, let me guess. Let me guess. Um, feeder feeder <gasps> of course <Yes. laughs> good yeah. looking indie front man bit floppy <laughs> head yeah definitely yeah, emotional who's the, who's the yes, um yeah. who's who's the american ones that sing was it delilah i can't remember the band name but there was there was another like emo american band jimmy Eat world jimmy Eat world not jimmy Eat world but i, I no, i'm a bit too old for the jimmy Eat world not but um, I used to the, love the Jimmy Archers. World. <laughs> <laughs> the Jimmy. The Spider-Man. Um, yeah. I loved Archers of Loaf and the Get Up Kids. Get Up Kids, yeah, that's a blast from the past. Yeah, I still listen to the Get Up Kids sometimes. I was, I'm feeling uh, nostalgic. And, and, and it's an instruction, isn't it? The Get what? Up Kids, you know. <laughs> I never thought of it like that. <laughs> we, should, and, um, um, we should get people to share. If oh, got... Fountains of Wayne. Oh, Fountains of Wayne, yes. Um, we should get people to share any exercise books they've got 
actually. It'd be quite oh, interesting. You and when we I put had this out. amazing maths teacher called Mr. Berry, and he was so funny and just a wonderful, wonderful teacher. And he couldn't, our, our class was so naughty. And my book was just full of funny quotes that he'd said and <laughs> other people had said in the class, fit on the front. And he would always like pretend to be cross about it, but I think he liked it really. <laughs> You think, I think he was traumatised personally. But uh. talking, <laughs> talking about a, a great teacher there, uh, I'm going to really, I'm going to steal the moment to plug the next My Best Teacher podcast. You should, Dan. Which plug anyone it. listening to this absolutely has to get, get it downloaded because the guest this week is Karis Matthews. Yeah, poor so dramatic effect. How good is that? Catatonia, lead singer, host of a fantastic Radio you know, 6 You could have show. segued into that because Catatonia would have been another band that would have had a bit of... Oh, my, yes, of course. Should have done that. He, he missed go. his opportunity. I did, but, but I, I, took an, I, took Mr, I took Mr. Berry as my shot. No, you know. it's perfect. Um, <laughs> my favourite quote from that interview, though, is, is, is she's talking about the fact that when she went to secondary school, she'd have to get on the bus first at the age of 11. And she said, yeah, because I got on the bus first, I started smoking, as if the two things are yeah. intimately connected. <laughs> what else am I going to do for an hour? But... Light up a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then one of her favourite teachers was the second person on the bus. And, yeah. and then she'd go in and the bus would be full of smoke. And it's all like, hmm, detective, which, which pupil <laughs> is responsible for this? It was a, it was a different time. It was, they say. It was. Yeah. And, and, you know, in a way, she went on to become a multimillionaire, rock star, super successful career. So it just goes to show, doesn't it? And she, but she still has massively positive memories of school and her teachers and, and says, like, they, they ignite a fire that doesn't go out. And it just goes mm -hmm. to show, doesn't it? You might not get straight A's in your exams or, or anything like that necessarily, but you can still learn and it will guide what you do. And, you know, she's gone to have a very eclectic, interesting career, music, mm -hmm. cookery, poetry. She loves poetry. She talks about poetry with such passion. Clearly, you know, her cultural upbringing and, and school as well. So she's a teacher's... Yeah, the whole what we're talking about exams and spelling tests and rote learning is one thing. Mm. But again, as always, it's the sort of indefinable element of school is so powerful, isn't it? Mm. And that is a good point to end this podcast. Um, thank you for listening and we'll see you all next week. If you enjoyed listening to this week's issue of the magazine Debrief podcast and want to read more of Tez magazine online, and have it delivered to your door, subscribe now at tes.com forward slash store.